0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Construction Corner Podcast. I'm Dylan, I'm your host and joined as always by my blue collar badass and maybe really not always but you know we're back here today Uh, and this episode basically Matt and I just sat and bullshitted for an hour and a half and we're going to chop up uh, through this and so there's going to be probably some jumps and skips between thoughts and topics and whatnot in this episode.
1: What is going on man? How are you? I am, uh, I'm living.
0: Doing,
1: doing a hell of a better than I was a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago. Natural it, immunity. It, what's that? Natural immunity. Hell yeah, man. I'll take it. <clears throat> it. It was like nothing I've ever experienced, man, ever. And I don't get sick often anyways you know but I've, I've had the flu a couple times pretty bad and that's what it felt like except that it lasted for you know four times as long
0: <laughs> yeah it's not like the two-day things it's like two weeks and you just and it's probably bad for like the first at least when i had it it was like maybe bad for the first like three days of it four days and then you just feel like shit you can't really do anything You're slow but it's not like you're gonna die
1: Yeah. See, mine was different. Like I was working late on a Wednesday. My, my last meeting ended at like nine o'clock and I went back next door and walk in. I'm like, I'm fucking freezing. And so I figured, all right, I'm getting a cold, whatever, went to bed. And from that point on, it was like, boom, eight days straight. You're feeling like you're dying. Can't get out of bed. hundred and like, I was hitting 104 degrees at night. It was it was a little scary at times, but luckily uh, my doctor, our doctor is like kicks ass and he's big on texting and email. And so he was in constant contact with us. You know, I I didn't take the stupid test until Saturday or Sunday. I don't remember what we did at home test, which I'm pretty confident you could just put under tap water and it says positive anyways, but uh, he prescribed some shit. You know, we got it Monday and, His biggest thing is just like, listen, man, he's like, tell your wife that unless you start acting really confused or you're like gasping for breath, you are not going to any hospital. Stay the fuck out of the hospitals. Stay away from them. (laughs) Like, okay, here we go. But, you know, I'm back to like 95%. Come two o'clock, I get kind of tired and (laughs) lazy, but. I think that's half of the uh, U.S. population anyways.
0: Yeah, that sounds about right. You know, it's like the old adage of... Uh, well, hold on. Before I tell that story, it's uh, one, like, that's how doctors used to be, man. Like, make house calls, like... Oh, yeah. Shit, you know, really care. So that's sweet, first off. Like, real solid. Um, and then it just... So this is, like... The life of every probably like maintenance guy was just like a culture anyway that I heard the, or the context I heard the story. Of. but it is you know Mondays are for uh, showing up, getting uh, just getting over the weekend. Tuesdays are for getting your area ready. Wednesdays are for work. Uh, Thursdays for cleanup, and Friday is uh, getting ready for the weekend.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, sounds about right. <laughs> so how you been, man? even busier than busier than shit it sounds like
0: yeah um in like good ways though man like it's stuff that like it's all needle moving stuff right i'm not i'm not dicking around with like day-to-day stuff by and large now uh, and frankly i almost get pissed when i get like work handed to me from uh consulting stuff like it's <laughs> nice but it's just like You know, okay, I'm working for, you know, I'm doing stuff like a hundred bucks an hour. So it's like, okay, like I'll work three, four hours today, make a few hundred bucks, you know, or a couple grand over a month or whatever, which is cool. But at the same time, I'm like, this does not move the needle. Yeah. Whatsoever. Oh, this would help a lot. (laughs) The mic was plugged in, it just wasn't selected. So it was on my pcs and my fan is loud as shit so good call um clearly i haven't opened zoom in a while um (laughs) so yeah man like uh the like i just i'm doing so much needle moving stuff now where like plus so i started phase one uh first last week in november whatever that was the 29th so I'm on whatever day, 14, 13, I don't know, whatever it is. Nice. Um, and like my, my power list is like <clears throat> blog posts, LinkedIn posts, uh, lifts with my band system, gratitude, video to Instagram, which goes to Facebook, marketing activity for uh, really for anybody, but Calabunga primarily 30 minutes of stretching, breath work, uh, and then all the 75-hour stuff plus cold shower visualization. Like that is my list. And then on top of that, so like clarifying the power list. And he's like, so anything that you want to make a habit, you put on your power list, right? Anything that's like a to-do list thing, like, you know, f- call Bob to order anchor bolts, right? Yeah. Like that is a to-do list item. So that goes on the right. And if you don't complete that, then it's like, it's not the end of the world. Um, it's not, you know, a powerless thing. So it's like marketing activity, write something you could do Monday through Sunday and completely make a habit that needs to go on the power list. So, you know, maybe it's a call, maybe it's a contact for, your, for business stuff, but it could be like writing emails, you know, posting like uh, something that is, you know moving that needle forward but can also then becomes a habit is the whole point of the power list and i was like putting a lot of to do shit on my power list which yeah. is what frankly made phase 1 like always a bitch cuz i put like stupidly hard you know to do tasks on the power list side of it versus like habit creating things so this time around has been like even though i have more shit on the list for like phase one and like in terms of habits and more than I've ever done it, I feel better about it. Cause it's all habit forming stuff than like to do things. And I still get a bunch of shit on the to-do list done. I'm just like, I'm not now worried about it.
1: And that makes total sense, man. Cause I've done the same thing when I've done it before and <laughs> you'll see it when you're done. Like when those things become habits and you're like, well, holy shit it all worked, then that's when you'll really, really look back and recognize it. Like, this is, this is powerful, man.
0: Yeah. Well, I was trying to think of like, what the hell does engineering firms, like what are the three pillars that like really engineer construction, like companies deal with? And the three that I like thought of is, or, and help me if I'm wrong here, but is really people, right? Like how to attract, retain people. It's like problem number one. Uh, number two is projects, right? Like get your shit done on time, under budget and get more of them. And then, uh, profit, right? Like, how do you be profitable in doing this? And those are, I think the three like biggest pillars across, and really you can apply that to anything, but MEP firms in particular, right? Like they can't attract anybody. They're always up against deadline and then they, they're not profitable. Or barely
1: 100 percent, man i think that goes across the entire industry <clears throat> i mean people is we've talked about that a ton people are are the hardest commodity to find right now and once you get them you got to keep them <clears throat> um you know up against scheduling it's it's getting stupid because we went through all the bullshit of last year and and frankly this year too and all the delays well, people are starting to get really nervous that the money's going to dry up. And so, there's this huge push and at least in my world, like we have to fast track everything because we lost, you know, 18 months of progress because of everything that happened. And so, it is schedules are getting cut like after the fact. People are pushing like like I've never seen before. And then to try and do that and maintain these commitments and keep everybody happy while still keeping your, your bottom line and making that profit margin. I mean, it it's, we're doing it, you know, but there's definitely been some, some pretty heated, (laughs) very heated conversations that we've had lately with, with clients. And that's not the funnest thing to do, but it's, it's nutty right now, man. Yeah. I, I think you've got it. I think those are easily the three biggest pillars.
0: And really, I mean, it because So I had, this was like kind of cool. So I had the opportunity through like, because I'm a member of magnetic marketing or the no BS in our circle thing through Dan Kennedy, which is like fucking dirt cheap. It's 97 bucks a month. And like, it gave me the whole idea for my newsletter. Um, Plus just all the other stuff that they give, but in there, um, Because Brunson bought it, like you know, recently, he did an open Q and A with the magnetic marketing community, and I had a chance to like actually ask a question directly to Brunson, like via like I actually you know talked to him, like it was just my voice, but via Zoom or whatever. And uh, so that was cool. That was worth like a you know a year of magnetic marketing. Um, and then all the other stuff that they're doing, like I'm, I'm never leaving. <laughs> um, which is like, that like, says a lot, right. Just in like those few bonuses and like all the other shit that they're going to send here in, <clears throat> in the mail and more newsletters and all this stuff. Right. It's totally worth the 97 bucks a month I pay. Um, But in that, like, so my question was like on perfect webinar, because that's the thing that Brunson like pushes real hard is perfect webinar, perfect presentation. And he was like, well, that's really built for like one to many selling, not necessarily like one-to-one sales uh, and like knocking over, like what he calls like the big domino, right? The big thing that everybody's up against or that they have a problem with or whatever. Um, And he's like, one, like you should probably do like the video boxes, which like I've talked about a bunch, right? Like those things that have a, you open them up and it's got a custom video in it or whatever yeah. uh, to send directly to people. I was like, okay, cool. Um, but the other one was like making presentations specifically for each buyer persona within the company. So I think the thing that I'm standing up or looking to is one, And so this is like the other question that I have is there's the C-suite, right? Um, That I wanna say for design firms and for like MEP in particular, these guys primarily care about projects more than anything else, right? Because as much as they say that they care about profit, They really don't because their profit margins suck. So by their actions, like profit is not important to these people. Like money is not important to these people, which is crazy, but that's take what they do, not what they say. (laughs) Sure, sure. And uh, so C-Suite, I think they care more about, the projects that they do and the ego behind it than the money made from a project.
1: See, that's a, it's, it's totally different on the design side in that sense than the construction side, but it's really similar at the same time, right? Because there's a lot of construction firms that they care about the profit, they care about the money, but they're just too stupid to make any. And so to, to make up for their lack of ability to run a business, they try and build it strictly based on volume of projects. And, and these are the guys that will build every doghouse, you know, jump on every public bid that that's out there. Actually, (laughs) I got suckered in today to a, a webinar, a mandatory webinar. You know who plant Moran Cressa is? Yeah. They're kind of a big conglomerate of. The Short hideous, hideous burn. overspending and, and owner representation. Well, there's a local community around here. They put out an RFQ back in August that piqued my interest. They were looking for a CM a construction manager to run their capital improvement uh, project for like two or three years. So I'm like, ah, I'll bite. So I submitted something. Well, we made the cut, you know, which was, was kind of shocking to be quite honest. <laughs> So we got the RFP on Monday. Well, they, they advertise it as eight and a half million dollars over two years, cut up in between like four or five projects. I'm like, well, hell that, that actually sounds pretty good. And I'm, and I'm looking and they've already done their, their estimates. So we, you know, take that for what, what it is. And I'm looking through them. I'm like, okay, like these projects sound kind of good. So I sit down for this webinar, this mandatory thing this afternoon. First of all, it's $8.5 million in construction costs. It's $10.75 million as an overall budget for the project. So that tells you how much them and the designers are scraping off of the taxpayer. The $8.5 million is legitimate, stretched over two years. What they didn't say in anything up until today was it stretched over 30 different buildings. So those five projects that they broke it down on the advertisement are like, change out the millwork in 15 different buildings. You know, it just, just this ridiculous list. And, you know, we made the cut. I was one of seven GCs on the call and I'm looking around or, you know, looking through the camera and nobody looks pissed off except for me. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. So I, I laughed. I'm like, you Good luck, guys. I can't even I can't even listen to the rest of your speech. It was it was infuriating to me. But you see these firms that do that, and I totally get what you're saying with the design side, but construction guys will just just eat this shit up. And it's just let's get as much as we possibly can and we'll deal with the numbers sometime down the road.
0: Yeah, it's a total ego play, right? It's total ego and they want their, they're touting their top line, even though their bottom line is fucking bleeding. garbage they're dragged behind the horse that they rode in on i mean it's bad and that's just like across the board but it's it's all an ego like i built that i did this like this is what it comes out you know like i that's just what i like when you really start to think about it it's all ego driven because they're just chasing that next project versus trying to make the thing that they have profitable which is like every shiny object syndrome
1: you've ever seen right totally <laughs> And I, I would rather do four projects a year and, and make my margins than do 40. You know, I just I never understood the, the opposite mentality where, you know, they just want to keep stacking them stacking. And it's one thing if you're for the bigger firms, if it's a really high end, you know, arena or something you can you can gain some intrinsic value out of or, or future marketing, you know, the, the big we did that. But when it's the doghouse, like what the hell? I mean, and I guess somebody has got to do it. So that's good. They can, you know, go chase that stuff and leave what I want to me, but I just don't get it, man.
0: Well, it's cause you're not an idiot, you know? <laughs> <clears throat> I mean, that's what it comes down to. Like I've talked to Dan about this, Dan Weiss and like, um, so with offsite, their margins are double what a drywall contractor is, right? And doing all the framing and offsite stuff and steel, yeah. right? Their margins are double net, net. And he's like, I could do four hotels a year and make way more money with like one client.
1: Why would you want to go anywhere else?
0: And he's like, I could do, you know, and it's like, cause he's just looking at it. Like I could do, and because of his standing, right. He's been in the industry, knows everybody for 20 years. And he's like, I could go do the, Like a couple hotels, or I do like one warehouse, like uh, framing or uh, those like age trusses and mm-hmm. do those. And like, he's like, I could do 20 million, make five. And have like three projects a year.
1: <laughs> and, and what I've found is it doesn't matter if it's a million dollar project or a $20 million project. It takes the same amount of work on the pre-con side, on the management side, on the, even on the design side, all of it. Like Oh, yeah. There's,
0: there's that base like this sucks, <laughs> you know, like thing to get through, like contracts, uh, set up accounting yeah. pieces, like all the like suck factor. And it, it doesn't matter whether that's a $5,000 bathroom renovation or a hundred million dollar, a billion dollar stadium. The shit is the same.
1: Uh, you and I are both on the same page. I, that's why I'm a shitty project manager, by the way, uh, you know, I, I can't do it. Cause it, that stuff, like, I'd rather just skip it and just shake a hand and be like, let's go, let's, let's do it. Let's build it now. And Obviously, you can't do that, but uh, that's why I hired a good project manager.
0: <laughs> I mean, some people are built for that stuff, man. Like, for man, sure, love it. Yeah. So, like, I come down to the the two things. Like, in construction, and it sucks, but this is the reality of it. They care about projects, and they, to an extent, care about people, right? And then profits. Like, I hope there's some around here somewhere. So that's to stand up this whole process with okay this is how you do more projects without hiring anybody
1: you know you mentioned unlearning it that's that's really what it is right because you know how to run a business you know how you would run a business like that but you can't keep that mentality when you're when you're strictly just trying to sell to them right because you get this, this fog, this save the world type fog, right? Like I want to help because I know how to do this. And I'm trying to show you how to run a business. Like I would do it which would be really freaking successful when they're, they're on the other side of the table thinking I'm, I'm stacking up project after project. We're building dog houses all over town. And it's just, you got to pull that out. We, um, we're a, a licensed registered dealer for a pre-engineered building manufacturer. <clears throat> we did that. I did that when I first came on board because we get pretty substantial discounts and we can use those aggressively on, on projects. Well, now that supply chain is, is a whirling pot of shit right now, none of the pre-engineered guys will sell a building, say, to you. If you're not a dealer, forget it. So what it's done is we've started getting people calling us, wanting us to just broker a building package. And usually I'm like, it's not worth the headache. I don't, I don't want to do that. Well, it was right before I got sick and we, we were approached by a local guy. He wanted us to broker this building. I was like, all right, I'll bite. Let's see what we can do here. You know, I'm going to put some money on it and I'm going to literally make you sign on the dotted line. And I'm just going to shove the building across the table and it's yours. It's not my problem. Well, instantly in my head, once I start putting this all together, I'm spending, you know, 10 times the amount of time on it. I should, I'm breaking everything down. Like I would do it for me. And I'm trying to convince this guy, you know, here's what we need to do. We need to change this in the design block. blah. And then it hit me kind of like what you just said, like, wait a minute, this guy literally doesn't give a shit about anything I'm saying. All he wants to see is the number on the bottom. And if that number works, he'll buy it, and if not, then he'll go to the next guy. and're we're, we're doing a weird back and forth still. <clears throat> I haven't actually sold it because I don't really need to either, so I'm kind of being an asshole, frankly, but you know it's just it's a weird mentality to try and play that different role, see that different view and, and pull your own knowledge out of something and and you know I don't want to say dumb it down, but <laughs> That's kind of what it is to a degree, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, and it's what makes me really, really good at, I can see all this through other people's businesses, but like going back and like, cause I'm an engineer, cause I came from this world and I see how just dumb people are, like it's, and how they should be run and like how the numbers work. Like I understand all the math behind it. Like how do you create that such, that i don't know any of that stuff to then you know come back to them and it's i i keep coming back to the only thing that they care about is doing more projects they don't really care about saving time they budgets are like fucking way down the list because you know nobody takes that shit seriously anyway and then so it's like okay you don't really care about your people by all of your actions so like what the hell do you care about and i I just i keep coming back to like ego it's like selling to doctors and how do i you know just
1: stroke that i think you've you've hit it spot on it's just a matter of you know reformulating your attack and you know you gotta you gotta keep your head out of it sometimes yeah
0: So I ran all these numbers, right? And then I did a presentation on it yesterday. Uh, But it was, so if you just double the number of your projects, right? You'll double your profit. You'll double bottom line profit. So on like average profit for a design firm is three and a half percent, right? That is average net profit. So on uh, going from 5 million to 10 million, right? You At 10 million, you make 350 grand. Profit net, which is like, fuck, why'd you do it? But, um, <laughs> so if you did that, right. at, And that's, I mean, that's how all these firms operate. Like I was in a design firm and they made shit a hundred grand net. And I was like, what the fuck? You know, I mean, you look at AECOM, they make 1%, less than 1% net, net, bottom line profit, which is just stupid. Like, and that's all of them. Jacobs, AECOM, Stantag, you can go look at all their financials. They make 1% which is just insane on, you know, billions of dollars in construction design fees. Um, so, okay, like that doubles. Uh, if you double the number of work that you do, you double your net. Very simple, linear, your thing. If you double your price, you 10X your bottom line. <laughs> like, because there's no marginal, right? Like every yep. additional thing is a 10X. Well, if you double your productivity, it does the exact same thing as doubling your price. You just now don't have to deal with clients not wanting to, you know, pay more for something. So if you double productivity, it's a 10X increase. If you only double the productivity, so like in an MEP firm, so you double 33% of it, I 5.55, well, you double your projects and you double your productivity, right? For a third of it, you 5.5X your, uh, net net. So going from five to 10 million, which is very realistic for most of these design firms, like, sure. you know, it's not, you know, it's like going from 15 engineers to 30. It's not like a huge increase in stuff. So at doing that and just doubling your electrical and technology productivity to where you hire no additional people, I can add from five to $10 million in revenue I will add 1.6 million to your bottom line.
1: I'd buy it today.
0: And like, you know, like what would you pay, right? Like to add 1.6 million, would you pay 160 grand? I'm like, people are doing this all the fucking time in crypto and they don't even have a guaranteed return. (laughs) Like it's just, you know, would you pay 80 grand, 5% to get a $1.6 million return? Of course you would. Well, for yeah. two hundred ninety-five bucks a week, you can have
1: all this. Sold.
0: Yeah, and so it's just like you know, but that that's like the the math side of it that nobody understands, right? Like these, like dude, you double your projects and you double your productivity. It's not four,
1: you know, it's ten. Right. I mean, maybe that's what it is, right? Maybe it's just ripping it down to to the bare math and and just sticking it in their face so blatantly that they can't not see it.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm <clears throat> uh
1: yeah. So here's the, <laughs> here's the... And this was the thing you did on LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah, it's on link. It's like half hour.
0: Uh, yeah. So here's like the math, right? <clears throat> it's like fourteen point, you know, fifteen X, right? When you double your price, if you double your productivity, it's the same exact math, right? For the next marginal deal. Yeah. And it's like, what's easier? <laughs> do you want to tell a client you're gonna, they're going to pay twice as much or just be twice as good? Like, what's easier, you know? What do you have control over? And then this is like that value equation out of Hormozy's book. This is probably in chapter, like, two. Um, you know, like, what do you, what do you want, right? So the dream outcome is the building that they want you know, perceived likelihood of achievement is basically like, can you do this? And everybody is basically the same, right? So everyone is effectively the same and looking at the value equation, like uh, there's no difference really in firms. So <clears throat> the dream outcome, like this might vary slightly, like firm A or B might be slightly better. They, you think you might get a marginally better building, right? Out of one firm over another, outside of like the star architects, right? Outside of like a Frank Gehry or something like that. So your, your dream outcome and likelihood of achievement, like, yeah, we think we're going to get a building. We think it's going to be good enough. Right? And uh, then it's like, you know, the time delay, like for everybody, it's basically the same. Like we think that everybody's going to do it in about the same amount of time. There's no real benefit one way or the other here. And then effort, sacrifice, everybody's like, okay, well, this firm is not that much of a pain in the ass. So we're going to hire them because uh, that's what we care about. Is <laughs> like who, who's not a dick and I can deal with and is going to give me a pretty good building. And I'm pretty sure I can, I'm going to get it in the time that I want it. And that equals value. So, you know, for most all firms, like this is all basically equal. And then it's like, who do I like more? Right, effort and sacrifice. And, you know, do they have some good shit in their portfolio? It's about the only things that clients ever decide on. But again, like, what the fuck do I know? Um, <laughs> nobody thinks like this. Like, this is not a normal thought process for any fucking design firm or construction firm ever. So, but if you can shrink the time, then your value goes way up, as you're seeing right now with you know time like people will pay more for time so like when you double the productivity right just electrical and technology that's 1.6 million you know it's 5.5 like you go from basically 350 grand to one two million in net profit 5.5 x by just doubling doubling the projects and then like not hiring any additional electrical technology staff
1: we have our our big christmas party tonight that's we would be pretty cool it's the first time we've ever actually extended the invite to our kind of our core team of, of sub partners and that's going to be a little a little bit larger than usual
0: that's fun though
1: yeah for sure it'll it'll be fun it's not going to be too crazy and raucous although well, you got any big plans this weekend other than flying out Sunday?
0: Uh, doing dinner with some friends tomorrow night. Um, not sure where yet, and I don't think we're doing anything today. Lauren's kind of pissed because it's supposed to snow starting Sunday, so and I won't be here.
1: <laughs> Have you guys had much snow yet?
0: Uh, we got like a dusting the other day, but um and like the pass is closed now so i think they got something you know a good chunk up in the mountains but nice nothing i mean it's it's cold here it's like you know 40 and 30 overnight but um no we had a lot of frost no
1: snow that stuck anyway yeah we had one little snowstorm. It you know got a dusting but then this week has been like like schizophrenic weather it was 17 degrees was the high on monday and tuesday like i had to buy a new damn battery for my truck because it it just it it couldn't take it anymore it's 57 degrees out right now and it's supposed to start raining at like midnight it's going to rain until about noon tomorrow when it's going to drop then to like 20 (laughs) but it's everything's back to to soup for a day and then it's going to freeze I keep bitching about it. I guess I could just move.
0: Yeah. I mean, this, the more and more like I go through this man, like design construction is like, what can these firms do to create like some type of loyalty, uh, subscription-based revenue that doesn't suck, right? (laughs) And I mean, maintenance agreements are one of the things, right? That's for like every sub. Well, here's one other thing that I want to just like rip on. So within marketing, right, and all the firms out there that do anything and everything, that they have they have no unique selling proposition. So within like the marketing world, this is called like USP, who is created by Dan Kennedy. And it's all about like, what makes your firm different? Like, what's the thing that separates you from everybody else? Because for the most part, when you look at it, like, okay, you did this school, I did that school. You did this firehouse, I did that firehouse. You did this, you know, uh, barn, I did that barn. Like there's nothing really different. You just did a different building. They're all functional. They're still standing and you didn't get sued over them. Right. Like these are the core things. Like, as funny as that is, like it's the truth, right? Like, hey, this didn't catch on fire or this wasn't the, you know, bridge that collapsed in Minnesota, right? Like that firm's shit out of luck in getting anything else. (laughs) Well. Uh, like, so what, what actually makes you different? Like, what do you stand apart in doing? You know, is your core competency like schools? Is it healthcare? Is it whatever, right? Like industrial is what you do and you're really good at it. Like, and then you have a stance on whatever that thing is, you know, are, do you write white papers on healthcare environments and how to make a healthcare project more successful or an industrial project more successful and using these, construction methodologies to actually move the project forward quicker in an industrial environment with plants that are in operation on a big campus, you know, for these different manufacturers? What are the things that you can do to like renovate old ass uh, warehouses and manufacturing space that are in downtowns? And this is how you can bring in, uh, you know, assembly lines and all this other stuff to make those old buildings and downtowns actually viable and not just put condos in them, right? Like what is your what makes you different, what makes you stand apart and why should somebody do business with you? And this goes like the whole value equation that we talked about earlier is, you know, they have a, a dream outcome, right? If they think that you can do that better than anybody else, that's a high probability for them choosing you and for them having to do little to no work, right? Like never underestimate the sloth of the American people in getting off their couch and being able to do something, but this is like a human condition, right? Never underestimate the sloth of somebody to get up and do something. And it's the people that get up and do something that we look up to because they did something that we weren't willing to do. Um, Just for like video and for construction and like a lot of stuff that we like look up to those people that uh, get on camera, you know, have a voice, do all this stuff. We look up to those people because they're doing things that we're unwilling to do. So if you can make it super easy for people to use your services, buy from your company, right? Like do all this stuff. And like construction is probably the worst uh, thing to ever do business with outside of probably a, a lawyer that gets paid by the page to create some of these contracts is because our contractual process is so, laborious is so hard to get through and understand especially for first-time building owners because they've never seen they don't know what the AIA is they don't know what an AIA contract is they don't know what any of this verbiage is and they're gonna have to spend 10 hours with their lawyer to try to figure it out at 500 bucks an hour for his time to get through a contract (laughs) we like you know do every day so from that standpoint like making that process as easy and efficient as possible for like signatures and all the other stuff that has to happen to go into like reviewing contracts, agreeing to terms, payments, like all that stuff. Right. And those are like the three people things or three, three things people really care about is what's the schedule. What's it going to cost? You know, when do I have to pay? Um, Are you know because at the end of the day they just want their building and to never have to pull that contract out of the bottom shelf of their file cabinet ever again. And in there, it's if you can do that right, so that's on the bottom of the equation is to make their lives better, um, more efficient. They don't have to. They don't have to do anything right. That's the bottom of the equation is their sacrifice and effort, and the less sacrifice and effort that they have to give the higher the value is plus if you they think that you're going to do deliver a better outcome than the other guy because we all know that basically whatever firm you're going to hire your likelihood of achievement right and you getting a billing is very high so for the top part of the equation uh we know that that's like super high and then for the time delay like that's the other thing right if you're more efficient if you can promise a faster timeline especially with uh supply chain problems we know that you're going to provide more so if you can issue all this stuff into your unique selling proposition and as a, a michigan guy you'll appreciate this story matt so good old Domino's, which is uh from ann arbor so their initial customers were you know michigan students is you know Hot, fresh pizza in 30 minutes or less, right? That is their unique selling proposition. So when you look at that, hey, dream outcome. I'm hungry, drunk, and uh, I would like food, right? So, And if I can get it in 30 minutes or less, I don't really have to sacrifice anything. It's delivered to my door. The time is pretty short. I get food in my belly and I'm going to be happy with it. High value. And that's what made Domino's. Uh, so when you really look at this, right, it's a unique selling proposition or, uh, when it absolutely positively has to be there, it's FedEx's, you know, unique selling proposition before overnight was a thing. So again, you know, it's going to get there.
1: That is a lot to unpack, but, uh, I'm going to start with the dominoes cause that's, that's close to home here. Um, <laughs> If you if you actually and this is a little off topic, but if you look into their their history, uh, they got in a whole lot of shit for that whole 30 minutes or less thing because they had these delivery drivers who would just go off kilter and would be killing people and getting in accidents and and doing literally anything they possibly could to make it there in in 30 minutes. So they they kind of scaled that back at one point. I I don't know if they still do it, but um, the value proposition aspect of it is is huge. And to be able to <coughs> to to break down any business into that simple of an equation, I think is really powerful. I don't know that it's really easy. Um, but you know when you walk through those four variables and, and how you can increase your perceived value to, to anyone, you know, that that's the ticket. But you know, especially in, in the in the construction world, you gotta, I think once you get to the table, once you get to that conversation, then yeah, you better be prepared to lay out what you just talked about, that whole value equation. And, and in my world, that's that's kind of easy, right? It's it's actually getting to the point where you can show someone that. And, you know, you, you talked today and, and we were texting back and forth last night about how how shitty we all are in the, in, in the construction world at marketing in general, um, and I think that's that's the absolute truth you know we we don't do it, and we don't do it well, and you know we don't do it well personally I, I know this you know social media campaigns or social media postings tend to turn into just portfolios of the shit I built, and kind of like you said, you know, I can build a barn and that guy builds a barn and we're all going to post pictures of our barns. They look pretty much the same. And and as long as they're not on fire or, or, you know, collapsing, how do you differentiate? And and I think to bring that mindset into the construction world would be really, really powerful.
0: So the, the question, the thing really becomes, how do you start selling to customers? Before the sale ever needs to be made. So instead of waiting until an RFQ or an RFP comes out, or you're in the presentation room to be like, hey guys, this is what we can do. How do you get that message out to your prospects, your potential clients before you ever have to sell anything, before they need anything, and to really establish dominance in a one on one situation? You know, get your customer alone and you sell in a vacuum of one, right? And a lot of that, frankly, is done through writing. It's done through books. It's done through videos. It's done through blog posts. It's done through things that there you're only going to read that one thing, and not you know you're you're not followed up immediately by the next construction firm or design firm, waiting to whore themselves out, frankly, for that next project. Like that's what it. It's a dog and pony show. Everybody knows it is, and. If you can come into that room, have already sold the client that you're the person to work with, and they just have to go through the motion of, do we have three people that we take, you know, presentations from, because this is a whatever project and we have to look at three people, you know, it's, it's a formality that you just have to do and like not screw it up. So that you're able to get that project, but all your selling was done months, years before you ever walked into that room. And it's getting to that point of this is why we do these things. This is these this is the nuance in everything that we do. And it's not that, and it's that every one of you can tell that story, can do it in a nuanced way. You just don't. And that's the difference, right? The person that does that that puts in that effort, does the thing, is going to win more projects than the guy that doesn't. And it's a, again, not that you guys can't. It's not that anybody can't. Anybody can do this. Like you can do a podcast, you can do a show, you can do whatever, transcribe it, send that to a client and do that on a regular basis, right? Like it is not necessarily hard. It just takes a little bit of effort.
1: you know, commercial construction can't just survive by putting up billboards on the freeway. Right. And most people don't recognize that to really win in this game, you have to be willing to plant seeds to grow a forest. Right. And and I, I use that analogy with my people all the time in that, you know, our sales cycles are, are stupid long, you know, they're long enough that, that, some people will forget about these projects, but it's, it's planting that seed so far in advance that by the time it sprouts and is, is a viable sapling or, you know, whatever the next stage is that, like you said, that, you know, they're, they're not the the client, the prospect isn't thinking about anyone else. And once you get to that point, and then you start having business come to you because the trees are, are growing then it's just a a maintenance thing, right? You have to, you have to water them. You have to take care of your, you have to take care of your forest. You can't let it burn down. You can't let it get logged out. You, you can't let, you know, oak wilt come in. And it's all based on, excuse me, on, on production, on doing what you say you're going to do, you know, on being honest, but to, to, to get those seeds in the beginning, that's a really hard thing to do. You know, you got to know where to find them, and you got to know how to do it, and you got to be, you got to recognize that this shit doesn't happen overnight. You know, it could be ten years, and and I think that scares a lot of people away from the industry, at least from from starting new in the industry. Is you, it's very difficult to just walk in to to a new place and start a commercial firm, design construction, whatever. And instantly, boom, make it. You know, my my wife and I have this conversation all the time. I'm, We're both constantly bitching about the weather here in Michigan. And why don't we just move? Why don't we just go to Florida go to wherever? And yes, the idea is romantic and it makes a lot of sense for about 15 seconds. But the reality is, I know I could go down to Florida and start a construction company. No problem. I've done it here. I've done it numerous times. However, that shit doesn't happen overnight. And you know without without pre-planning all of this, so that you know I was marketing and planting my seeds now, my forest or planting my forest in another state, it, you know it'll never work. It'll never work the way you want it to. When
0: it comes to like maintenance and following up with clients the so this is my third month doing it my newsletter that i've sent out has gotten more and better reactions and shares from people that probably never post anything <laughs> in their like entire lives but they feel compelled to share a simple four page letter and i follow the tenets of direct response in that there will always be an offer In there, right? Like, no one has to take me up on it, but it's there if they would like to. And that has gotten and no one's ever like upset that I put an offer in there. But it's gotten more and better response, because I wrote a letter, I did a few little hand, you know, like I signed them, and it's gotten more and better response than anything else I've ever done. And for all of you like to write a four page, again, Front and back, right? four page deal, uh, two pages front and back. Like it's not all that hard, right? It's two thousand words. This I think what it comes down to. It's not overly complicated. It's some stuff, some personal stuff, some business stuff, some shit I feel like talking about, and that's it. Like it's not overly hard. It's not overly complicated, and the Simple follow-up and the dollar that I spend in uh, envelope, paper, stamp, <laughs> which is stamps the most expensive thing in there to <laughs> send out is like well worth it. But nobody spends the dollar a month, a client to follow up and keep them engaged in whatever it is that you're doing.
1: I can't even disagree with that a bit. I don't do it. Nobody does it. You know, we, we talk to what we, we follow up with past clients, you know, and, and on a cursory level, we try and keep in touch, but nothing routine and regular to make sure that we're in, in their, their mind frame all the time. Um, I can tell you that I read your newsletter every time I get it (laughs) and I can see the power in in doing that. It's just a, it's a discipline thing, right? It's, it's a, you gotta be willing to put in the work and you gotta be able to build that habit out of it and keep doing it. And that's when it starts paying in in dividends. And to be honest, like,
0: so it took me two hours to design the first one to get all the logos and layout and whatever, maybe more, two, three hours to like lay it out. And then it takes me, two, three hours to write it. And then it takes half hour to print them and sign them and write a note and stamp and put them in the, you know, mailbox. Right. So it's four hours a month, maybe to, to do that like half a day to keep in touch with people that, you know, want to hear from you. And I mean, I've had, it's, my numbers aren't huge, but it's like 30% growth month over month.
1: I'd say that's pretty huge. I mean, that, that that's a tremendous number, actually. I mean, what do you get for a normal email campaign? You know all about this stuff.
0: Um, I mean, like, a well, so one, I get 100% open rate on the letters. I'm pretty much like guaranteed. So like an average, like a really great email campaign in this day and age is like 15% open rates. 20 is like, for a warm audience, 20% is like, you're good. Uh, 15 is more likely. And then like for cold, it's, you know, 5-10%. And then click-through rates are... Five percent total, or really like you, you start like, and five percent is amazing. Three percent is like good, you know, for a direct response campaign. So like, you send something in the mail, and this is like the so think back when you were a kid, you know, for getting like Sony Music subscriptions for, uh, you know, whatever BMG music. Uh, like the for that campaign to be successful, two percent response rate was all they needed for that to be a successful campaign. Uh, one and a half, they were probably doing good. Like they were breaking even on the front end of the campaign with, and then they had hopefully a back end that made money, so they didn't ever have to be like actually profitable on the the front end of of that stuff. So that's the, you know, in one percent you were probably losing money, but if you had a back end, then it was fine. Um, so like that's how those numbers break down. I mean, like openability, right? Deliverability is one of the biggest things, and I, I can almost guarantee that so long as my letter gets delivered, which is the biggest thing, right? The mailman didn't lose it somewhere, right? Uh, but so long as it gets delivered, it will get opened.
1: And that's huge. I mean, there you have it, guys. He, he just gave you the secret, the secret sauce. He also told you how I single-handedly built my entire music collection back in the '90s, um, and I why somehow BMG <laughs> and Columbia House never went out of business by giving me all those free CDs. But that's a topic for another day.
0: Because they had a back end. I mean, you bought month after month. You know, cost them well, nothing. Some so, people did. <laughs> well, on a regular basis, right? Even if you bought every three months. But this was the thing, like you they kept sending you shit, they kept making you an offer. And then like, if you bought every other time, again, like it costs nothing, especially in the 90s, it costs nothing to mail a CD. So like, it didn't, you know, they could do that. And then it costs, like their mailing campaign, especially in the 90s, it was 50 cents, probably per thing to send out like it, it cost them. A, and then you paid eight bucks in shipping and handling. So the product and the mailing was covered by shipping and handling. And then everything else was profit on the top of that. Like, you know, I mean, that's how they made their money. And then they had a back end that, you know, you kept getting music and you paid four bucks a CD and you thought you were getting such a good deal. And I mean, that's how I have, you know, a hundred CDs. Cause they were what I perceived as cheap, but, and everybody made money, everybody won, right? Like it, it was a winning thing.
1: Absolutely, man. But they stayed top of mind. They stayed right in your face.
0: This is power direct mail. Well, but this is, this is what I mean by a selling situation of one, right? Getting your customer alone. Like you're not like all the hundreds of thousands of subscribers to Playboy are that because it comes to their house. They, no one else has to know about it. It's a secret, you know, like for their half a million subscribers that, and they gain like 40,000 a month. Like it's insane. But I mean, they have churn, but again, they're, they're 500,000 uh, subscribers, like average a month. Like, again, nobody knows if you do or don't subscribe to Playboy because it comes to your house. And this is, well, but it's like the beauty of it, man. Like nobody knows what books you get or what Amazon, what's in your Amazon box or anything like that because it comes to your house. So the more you can do, this is super beneficial. Um, but guys like through all this stuff, it's just important to like find ways to be unique, special, better than, everybody else so that you can keep and maintain that customer, uh, above everything else. Uh, any last words, Matt?
1: I love it, man. I think it was a, it was a good show. It feels like it's been, I don't know, months since we sat, uh, across the mics from each other and actually recorded, but, uh, it's good to be back and ready to rock and roll, man.
0: All right, guys, that is this
1: episode of the Construction Corner Podcast, and until next time.